Hi, this is Alistair Stewart. And this is your pal Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Caring Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find the silver lining or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. Hey, Brock, Caring how are you? Into the void. Into Caring the void. It, yeah. Carrying on my wayward song. <laughs> We're 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 auditioning some new theme songs. Uh, obviously, one that says the name of the show. Uh, you know, Paul's work here is our intro, uh, which uh, mostly sounds like a radio tuning in, and then uh, a synthesizer. I wish I had enough money to own. Uh, perfect, <laughs> unbeatable, untoppable. But it does not say the name of the show, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna start looking around. <laughs> uh, I the 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 job that I have just left airdropped terrible music onto us at one point which was was really really good fun it was basically so we had this development money a little while ago and we hired these guys and here's what they've given us fix it by and for possibly legal reasons i cannot tell you what the music was or what the property it was for was i can tell you i have never seen a, a work slack visibly oscillate with laughter before this moment in time, uh, and it, it was the, it was this moment where suddenly the team structure went very flat, because my boss at this job had a very she was great, but she had these two very specific tones of voice, and one was the "Hey everybody, here's some work we're going to do," and the other was "I have been handed something terrible, and now it is everyone's problem." <laughs> the words I'm saying sound positive, but I think you can tell I'm collapsing inside this is really playing my pan and i have no professional poker face for corporate uh, the, yeah okay, the absolute good. best acting direction i've ever been given was in an episode of rogue maker a podcast i was in earlier in the year and one of the scenes i did was my character arrives on the space liner he's working on for the first time opens the kitchen and there are kind of awful decaying sounds and the stage direction was malachi sets his jaw and and stands resolute like every determined studio ghibli heroine ever <laughs> and the line was i guess i best get started and this felt very much like that it was kind of here is something terrible fix it or not we're really not that bothered but um my my default at the moment because obviously it is the festive season and uh, as a result christmas in hollis by run dmc is playing yeah. in my mind constantly my default is that of course we should get a 1980s rap th rap theme tune <laughs> yes please I, I i do know a guy who wants dj'd for mc daryl so you know okay <laughs> boy we have everything we need here exactly Exactly. It's like one of those NASA survival tests. You are in the middle of the desert. Drop some fat beats and also be recovered alive. Here is some water. Here is the copy of Garage Band. Here is, here is your <laughs> silver foil parachute thing. You may continue. My dad's first uh, real career was uh, he had a studio and he was a jingle writer out here in the Midwest uh, and uh, got into it. And uh, back in the day, you'd not just do a. Uh, 1530 minute uh for various radio ad links but you'd also do like hold music for a company that with like extended versions so you really had to have a bop to go and he got oh, into wow. it a year year or two before radio stations realized like 
We can just put like a music bed underneath this and have a DJ read the stuff over the top and then no one needs to pay for ads ever again. And so he translated it into continuing to write very catchy songs for himself and for his friends. But uh, yeah, the the last of the jingle writers uh, professionally and uh, makes me a little sad. I'm sort of like my dad has a lot of reel to reel recordings of him and pals from uh, back in college and stuff. But like I'll never hear any of his uh, 30 minute hold track music for a bank. Like uh, I feel like I'm missing a large part of his revoir. (laughs) That that is a band camp waiting to happen. <laughs> one of one of my my, my former colleagues um, was an uh, is an active radio producer. He's from New Zealand and he's very polite and very calm. And like everyone who is very polite and very calm, he knows a lot of ways to physically dismantle people. He just chooses not to. <laughs> but um, during his time with one of the two major radio stations in New Zealand, I, th- I remember him talking about how you know, the hardest day was one week was uh, or the hardest week was when he had to do I think twenty five variations on one jingle. Nice. And Perfect. because it was not a large organization, he was composing it, mixing it, and doing the vocals. A- and it was a little bit kind of. And now I'm going to go home and stare at a beige wall until I can feel things again, kind of thing. <laughs> Andrew, are you okay? I'm good. Music has no meaning to me, and I'm not quite sure where the sky is, but I'm fine. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go now. <laughs> Do you have a tale to share with us today? Do I? This one is pulled from my own personal vaults, as you are about to find out. I, I am a nerd. We may have covered this. And I live and grew up in the UK, well, adjacent to the UK. And that means that for a long time, my primary exposure to both comics and science fiction was a comic called 2000 AD. 2000 AD is a weekly science fiction anthology series. It is still active. It is nearly 2023. It's been running since, I believe, the late 70s. And the best way to describe it is one part dysfunctional rock band and one part feral idea factory. And like I say, we're about 23 years past the title's own very breathless description of the future and its history. This is Judge Dredd's house, by the way. This is where he comes from. And you, the family tree of people who got their start in 2000 AD and went on to comics and science fiction and horror literature, it, it looks like it looks like one of those things from the Doomsday Book. You know, it looks like the heraldry from A Knight's Tale. There's hundreds <laughs> of them. One of the series that sometimes gets overlooked is a thing that they ran in the late 90s called Tales from Beyond Science. Now, it's understandable that this gets overlooked, because when, when your back catalogue has the population of a small European country, it's quite easy to just play the hits, you know? Now, this thing was illustrated by graphic artist genius Ryan Hughes, who I think has now released two very large, very good prose novels as well. And it was written by a variety of the future great and good. Again, I mean, you could pull any series out of 2000 AD, and one to five of the creatives involved would be someone whose name would make you go, holy shit, they worked on this? The weird thing about Tales from Beyond Science was that tonally it was all over the place, and that was kind of a feature, not a bug. It was funny, and it was absurd, and it was horrifying. And I want to talk about horrifying, because there was one story written by John Smith that discussed Marconi's quite well-documented fascination with contacting the dead. Marconi as in the telephone. In Smith's script... He succeeds. And there is a panel where Marconi speaks to his dead brother. 
this panel is one of nine, and it's an interesting comic format that Alan Moore uses an awful lot, but you have a nine-panel grid arranged in three horizontal blocks, and each panel is the same, same size and shape. So you get a sense of motion, and you can chop up time into quite small segments by doing this. And the only image, basically, is Marconi on the phone, and it's intercut with the conversation he's having with his brother, who is dead. This is the first time I ever read a piece of prose, and it felt cold in my mind. And the line, I have, I've got people living in my skin, would have burnt itself onto young Alistair's brain, were it not for the next page. The one that concludes with the theory that the dead are trying to contact us to warn us about something. When I revisited this to, to talk about it for the show, I was reminded that there are three or four instances of comics which I read entirely fucking too young, and this is most definitely one of them. <laughs> the mid-90s, adolescence, abject existential terror. I just had my first brush with mortality, or it was barreling towards me. It was certainly on the horizon. And I was Catholic at the time. So this shit, this shit stayed with me for a while. And this brings me to Susie. And the fact that Susie is drowning. The urban myths of the UK are also the rural myths. And a lot of them surround phone boxes. I assume because we're all deeply disappointed there isn't a gender-fluid alien genius who cares a lot about biscuits in there to whisk us away from Bigot Island for a season or two. God knows I've looked. A few years ago, I had a subscription to 14 Times. 14 Times is this parapsychology magazine based on the writings of a guy called Charles Fort. Fort was a really interesting dude. I believe it was Fort who said you measure a circle beginning anywhere. He was a skeptic and a believer in the exact way that the world's worst podcaster, who we all know about but dare not invoke in case testosterone Voldemort is feeling lawsuity today, claims to be. Fort was interested in everything. And the 14 Times covers everything. And their letters pages is kind of fantastic because it's this open space for people to talk about things they don't understand but that they know happened to them. And there's a letter from that page, which I'm going to read here. Back around 1975, when I was nine, some of the kids I knocked around with insisted we all pile into the nearest phone box to hear a spooky message. By dialing a number, I think it was made up of zeros, twos, and ones, and without needing to insert two pence, a woman, speaking in a curiously monotone voice, could be heard saying, Help me. Help me. Susie's dying. Over and over. Some of the lads said she sometimes said, Help me. Help me. Susie's drowning. Always in the same slow, seemingly bored tone of voice. I wonder, was it some weird engineer's test signal, hence no money needed? The letter's actually from a guy called Rob Dickinson, who lived in Lancashire, and this was published 23 years ago. And there's a couple of follow-ups. One says, I can remember once cramming into a phone box in the stony home area of Burnley with various other kids to hear the strange message related by Rob. I can't remember the number dialed. Could this be an early example of EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, or just inexplicable interference on the telephone system filtered through the active imagination of young witnesses? That's from a guy called Christopher McDermott. Next response is this. I remember the spooky message when I was a child playing with the old red phone boxes in Burnley. Two phone boxes in particular were prone to mysterious, scary voice messages, one at the top of Dalton Street on Plaintree Estate, and the other at the end of Harold Street on Stoops Estate. As I remember, you put 2p in the slot and dialed 20, 20, 20, 20, and the voice on the other end would be crackly but audible. Help me, Susie's dying, which sent us kids running in all directions. That's from A.G. Russell Dallimore, by email, 
2003. Here's the last one. I am from Burnley, and I have a vivid memory of the strange phone message. In either 1980 or 1981, three other girls and myself were loitering with the intent not to go back to school after lunch. We were messing around in a phone box near the school, calling random numbers and talking rubbish. If anyone answered, we thought it was funny. One of the girls said she knew a number you could call to hear a spooky message. I think there were threes and twos in it. When she called the number, we all heard the message as quoted in previous correspondence. I have no doubts as to the phrasing of what I heard. It was a clear voice with no audible distortion. Needless to say, we were all a bit freaked out by this, when a, and when a British telecom van pulled up nearby, we made a hasty retreat and returned to school. That's from Tracy McLean in Nesborough in North Yorkshire. Now, all of this was hitting around the same time as the number stations were starting to rise to prominence, and we do not have the time this episode to get into them, but it spoke to me the same way that story in Tales from Beyond Science did. The unknown, the uncanny, the terrifying, and the beautiful. All there, all the time, just on the other end of an analogue phone line. There's something wonderful to that, as long as you don't look it in the eyes or make too many sudden moves. And it's more beautiful for the fact that there's apparently no follow-up. There's no context for this. It's just a terrifying message on the end of a phone line. At the same time, rumour had it, that you could dial hell if you had 20p and a phone box down the street. Reminds me too of Hookland, the notional English county where ghosts are acknowledged reality bends and the hum of the power lines is a worshipful noise. That's the folk horror that speaks to me, but also the folk horror that means I will never, ever answer a phone box if it rings as I go past. I am choosing not to go first. What, I, I, am I allowed to speak? Is this, Please do. The space feels very haunted now. I, <laughs> you have summoned something here, and I like. I, I want to hang up. I feel like, uh, Jesus Christ, man, what? what? Yeah, I know what you mean. It's too early in the morning on my side of the pond. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, okay. I'm like doing breathing exercises. What was, how was, no. Okay. You know, let's. Do you have a caring to go with this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. I do. And if it helps, because I'm, I'm a firm believer in the concept of brain sorbet. I'm, I'm a firm believer in reading about stuff like this and then going, I'm going to go watch cartoons now. And the kind of loosely associated brain sorbet with all of this is actually the number stations. Number stations are still active. You can actually listen to them quite easily. Uh, the Wikipedia pages on them are also very well documented. These are radio transmissions which are on a very specific frequency at a very specific time, and they say nonsense. One of them is, I think, uh, uh, the lyrics to the song The Lincolnshire Poacher. Another is a nursery rhyme, all this kind of stuff. And these are very, very clearly espionage. These are very clearly communications codes for intelligence agencies. And because everyone has the same radio, they are audible to everybody. So... Those, for me, are kind of, I think, are what this actually is. It feels like a carrier wave. It feels like something which there is a very mundane context for, but which is presented in such a way that is deliberately designed to be unsettling. And I, I kind of have a web of these. I ran a comic shop in York for a very long time, and York is just below a town called Harrogate, up on the Yorkshire Moors. Harrogate is home to... Uh, Men with Hill, the uh, uh, the US Air Force listening station 
once breathlessly decried by ufologist Jenny Randalls as the British version of Area 51. Yeah, you could drive along the road next to it and there's quite a good ship shop. It's it's not. It's really not. And there were stories. We had at least one of the Marines who had a standing order with us for various comics. Uh, one of their intelligence analysts had a standing order with one of our, one of our other stores. He was called Jim, and any time someone asked Jim what he did for a living, he would growl at them, yeah, I work, and then go pick up 1960s Batman comics by the fistful. I work. I, yeah, oh I work. My God. The joke in all of this, by the way, is that at this time in Harrogate, if you bought a house, you were just as likely to be quoted the price in dollars. There were so many CIA officers over there. Um, <laughs> right? Jesus, okay. <laughs> but th this, th this is the brilliant one. This is the brain sorbet. This site is very fucking public. It's also incredibly top secret. But like I say, you drive down the side of it. When I was a kid, when we go on holiday to York, I could always tell when we were getting there. Because even though I was listening to something on my Walkman, the static from the radio transmitters would just cut it off for 30 seconds. And it, it's all these the big kind of golf ball parabolic mic type buildings. One morning, there was a shift change, so the story goes. And new shift rocks up. Takes a look at the building, goes, has the night shift left yet? No. Keep them. Why? Points at the building. There is a three-foot-tall hammer and sickle spray-painted on the side of this thing. Okay. With a Spetsnaz unit badge at its base. And that was all they did. Snuck on. <laughs> kind of pissed on the territory a little bit. Left. Okay. This shit's weird, Brock, and it's fucking everywhere over here. Everything in your history feels like every fourth page somebody tore it out and made sure to leave part of the page so you can tell the page was torn out, but, like, the the pages keep missing. Like, it, your, your stories are easier. Your stories are easier <laughs> than mine because every story in Europe is missing the middle bits. <laughs> That is a perfect way of describing it. Somehow we have nothing but history, but we tend to skip to the good bit. Or the, or the very least, the least upsetting bit. <laughs> well, you, you have enough history that you have parts left to history, and then you've got the parts that are problematic, so somebody is making them go away. Yes. Uh, and that person is polite society. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> you've got a lot of different sensors that, that your filters that your history must pass through. Exactly. So I got fired from a job because of 2000 AD. No fucking way. I was a weekend editor for a big video game website out of the UK. And at first they were sort of like, there's nothing, obviously an American could do this. And then every couple of weekends, I started getting a note from the editor-in-chief that was like, uh, hey, um, I noticed that you're using a lot of American spellings of words. Uh, it doesn't really fit with the rest of the site, so if you could use the British spellings. And to that note, I was like, well, can you send me a list of British words with other spellings that you want me to do? Which I think really identified the, like, well, if that's what you want, I probably can't help because... No one's got a quick list of all British spellings of words that are different than the American versions. It was <laughs> it was a weird request from them and an impossible ask from me. And so, like a couple of times, we just sort of met in the middle. I'm like, okay, well, try to try to do more. And I'd say I don't know. the The breaking point actually came when I wrote about how 
they were doing a remaster of the early Xbox game Rogue Trooper. And I had mentioned in my article that it was kind of funny that, like, we were investing all of this to remaster a game that no one played first time around and had too weird of a concept for audiences. And they were like, sorry, Rogue Trooper is like a gigantic deal. And I was like, I've literally only heard of it in this one context ever. And they were like, do you not read 2000 AD? Are you not current on it? I was like, I've read some Judge Dreads. I have no idea. I And that, that, that led to me losing my job that weekend because they were like, there's just too big of a cultural divide. And I was like, I really didn't see that there was one in, in video games. But now I suppose that, yeah, my pronunciation of aluminum and uh, not knowing the entire 2000 AD universe, which when I looked into it then was the first time that I realized just how how many hundreds of characters like you mentioned there are there and i was like oh i this would be like trying to look up all of the british spellings of words i yeah i i concede if, if this is what you want you may have the job back <laughs> <laughs> thank you but no yes um if you are interested if you're in the mood for a little bit of schadenfreude there is a very good documentary about the formation of 2080 called future shock it's a very good kind of straight-ahead historical documentary, but it's also that type of documentary where the director knows to let people talk. Oh, and there is good. a 20-minute yes. period in the middle of it where an awful lot of very well-known names crap in their hand and go, would you like some of my cookie? Well, to give me no further information, I'm watching that today. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, and Edda's code on that one, if you're an American who doesn't really know Rogue Trooper, um, the game is actually quite fun, but the character uh, hits on one of my favorite uh, lesser-used tropes, uh, which is that um, all of his gear is actually the reincarnated spirits of his dead soldier friends, and they can talk to him. And I like any situation where somebody's tools uh, have a personality and life of their own, especially a gun that can talk to you. I, I find things like the darkness uh, bring me great joy, and as did this. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's not enough. Uh, the new uh, Justin Roiland High on Life game that just hit Xbox, uh, he voices your gun in that first-person shooter, and he never shuts the fuck up, and it's great. <laughs> it's, it's fine. I'm a big fan. So, uh, yeah, Rogue Trooper. Uh, if it had to cost me my job, I'm just going to be a fan forever. <laughs> the deeply entertaining place they take it is that before he, they are killed, Rogue's um, squad are called Gunnar, Bagman, and Helm. And he, the three pieces of equipment he always has are his helmet, his backpack, and his rifle. And not only is it exactly this obvious, but they do do the Bagman ends up in the gun and Gunnar ends up in the backpack and he hates everything about his non-life the moment he arrives there story at one point it is so good it's really good <laughs> <laughs> why can't i shoot anyone you're a bag throw <laughs> tissues at them jesus <laughs> so um on my end today do you guys have the little free library yes cool so for those that don't know uh movement started 13 14 years ago called little free library you can do this yourself but also there is a very sort of go to look for the little free library you can buy them online they are essentially cabinets uh that you can get them of various sizes but you can put them on a pole 
in front of your business, in front of your house. Uh, the idea is to create a community, take take a book, leave a book sort of situation. Um, in Los Angeles, twice I was gifted little free libraries, and twice I had to re-gift them because I was like, I live on the sixth floor of a building in Hollywood. Like, I can't put this outside, nor would <laughs> it be used for its purpose. So, uh, so this year... I, uh, I got one and put it in the front yard of my place, which is a highly trafficked area, and it is turned into just a just a real delightful thing. Where where when I get home Aww. from work most days, I check to see what's gone and what's come back. And aside from like some of the lunatic stuff that has passed through, and also as its ability to be a place for me to let my books go instead of making constant runs to the used bookstore mm -hmm. uh, when they're finished or trying to donate them to a library that isn't really sure they want that one uh, is, is that there is somebody or multiple people in my neighborhood who keep coming by and reorganizing the books. Uh, they were all stacked oh vertical God. the other day. Um, I have come by to find three levels of this little free library um, organized by color. Mostly, I'm just sort of like, who who stood outside of my house for like 20, 30 minutes and did did all of this? Because like, maybe that part's creepy, but I love it. Big fan. So uh, yeah, which I just uh, put out there, um, my copies of Slow Horses and Dead Lions, because I read those because of you, like, a year ago. Oh, uh, fantastic! Telling me I should, uh, and the, uh, the second season of the TV series is currently on Apple+, Plus, uh, right in the middle of it right now. Uh, so, yeah, had a great time with those, and that the, the perfect books to be like, I hope somebody grabs this one. I, I don't know if they'll hear about it otherwise. Yeah, so those just went out. Uh, so I, I've got a love of media, as we both do. I have too much of it. We have our piles and our rooms that have been lost to it. So I got a record in the mail the other day, which is not uncommon. That is, It's actually more uncommon that a record does not come in the mail that day. Uh, and it was uh, really uh, kind of tattered. It had clearly been on some journeys. I opened it up, and the first thing I thought was, oh... I've been drinking again because it was a record from a group I had not heard of and the album I had not heard of. And I checked my email history uh, thinking maybe it was a, you know, random purchase. Nope. There's no, I've never bought this record. I've never searched for anything related to it. I've, I've looked into the group. There's no reason I would know them or even be into their genre. But here's the thing. I went back to check the package because I was like, maybe it's gone to the wrong house or something. And the package is addressed to me and it is from me. It is from my house and my address, but the indications on the, on the package from some stamps and stickers and stuff show that this album started in Finland in the middle of 2020. What? And only this week showed up here after traveling all over Europe, France. Uh, it went to Egypt for a point. Uh, yeah, it seems like it started in Finland, but it actually started at my house. Uh, so it's from me to me, and it went on a two-year journey to get here. And so uh, I, I've tried looking up tracking information. There's absolutely nothing to, to figure this one out. It is 
certainly not a label made by me. Uh, there is some handwriting on it, and it is not mine, but it is writing out my address as the return address. So uh, that's how my favorite album of the year became this record by the group Carbon-Based Lifeforms uh, called Hydroponic Garden. They are a sort of down-tempo ambient duo from Sweden. They got started in the mid-90s, got signed because some of their work was on the website mp3.com back when that was a thing. Uh, wow. And as a duet, like this album came out in uh, 2003 in a period where not a lot of records getting made outside of like the electronic music scene because uh, the resurgent hadn't hit. So like it's a very nice, very thick record of, of music that's uh, uh, pretty, pretty chill, but uh, some very interesting bursts of energy. And so I've gotten really into uh, carbon-based life forms uh, maybe my favorite part about them is that um, for this record <laughs> that toured the world for several years, getting from me and back to me, uh, which it, at no point is it like a return to sender or anything like that. The label clearly says from me to me and traveled around the world. Uh, no other labels, nothing underneath it. Um, the band itself. <laughs> Uh, was not able to tour for the first 15 years of it of its existence uh, because one of the two guys in Sweden had such a fear of flying that they couldn't travel. So one of the two guys would tour Europe doing the shows by himself. And at some point, his partner was finally like, fuck it. I, I see you playing all these big festivals. I, w I, I would rather die imaginarily in, my, in an airplane than not get a chance to do this. So like... <laughs> The, the musicians themselves had to overcome a fear of traveling Europe while their music seemingly did and then came across the pond to me and there's there's no there's just no explanation for it. There's absolutely nothing. Uh, and so uh, I, I delight in this haunted record that found its way to me. They, I, I've gone down so many wormholes. There is absolutely nothing in any form of media that really... Uh, could tie in the the only thing is that one of them worked on the soundtrack to the game steam world which is a game i sort of enjoyed like a decade ago but like there's no wor world where i was like well there's no soundtrack available for that i'm gonna look up his work with a different group and buy it from finland uh so so here we are with uh with a record that i i feel quite certain i can never put in the little free library because i pay it would be like putting a haunted doll in there. And I, I've almost worn it out in the last week, just constantly playing it as if I'm going to hit reverse on it and there's going to be a message to decode. No, it's just uh, in my wife's heart, it feels a little like I've I've done some sort of like cosmic punch card where on your 200th record bot, the god of records just goes ahead and sends you a 201st at his, uh, at his discretion. Like, oh, good. Okay, I I earned this one. This is my bonus. I, I am officially on board with that. I think that is by far not only the most likely, but the best solution I've heard to any problem this year. <laughs> I, I'd always thought that in, you know, Amazon is what it is, uh, and it has an algorithm that supposedly knows me better than I know myself. And I've always thought that for every, like, 
99 movies or books bought the algorithm should just go ahead and pick one for me it's it costs them absolutely nothing but it should it should toss you something every once in a while as a little thank you i know that right you'd have to be slightly less evil to part with uh 15 for a record once every two years but sure here we are so Carbon-Based Lifeforms, a band that I am now very much into, and uh, and according to Discogs, I own a record that no one else claims to, so I'm not even sure if the record exists. Is this a test pressing of something? Like, I can't find this anywhere else, so I have just an object from nothing, uh, and I, I, I must protect it. I must protect it. I can't feed it after midnight or let it get wet uh i i don't something's wrong the, the world has need of this record <laughs> soon brock it has need everything's up on spotify from these guys but like no no haunted physical object making its way downtown uh so uh yeah that's what's happened on my side so uh my caring to go with that is uh with all this hustle and bustle, it's easy to get lost in the fray. Not just a bit discombobulated, but textbook misplaced. That's the thing about places. There's no such thing. You can't see a place. There are items and people and times and air and land and day and shadows and joy, but is a place just an address? Uh, is a place the chair you sit in? Is a place the entire halo around the room or the whole building? Is it a sense of purpose? How wide does it go? Uh, is it the bench or is it the entire park, the pool or the streets around it and the sky above, a field or the entire continent? I have been misplaced and I have been mispriced and none of that factors in unless you decide that this is not the place for you or worse, let others decide that on your behalf. Why would they own that? They cannot show you a place that has a strict understanding or shared definition any more than you can do the same to yourself. You, my friend, are not in the wrong place, so long as you are someplace and traveling to another place. There's nowhere you need to be. You are already there. God damn, you're fucking good at this. That's you're lovely. fucking good at this. I love you. <laughs> love you too, buddy. That is that is brilliant. Weeks from now, I'm going to be going, oh yeah, that weird record that Brock sent himself two years ago that he has no memory of that may or may not exist. That's in the world. That's mystery right there. That's art. I fucking love that. <laughs> Do you have any self-care into the void for this week? Anything that you're doing for you? This is our first episode of uh, 2023. Um, anything you did big to take care of yourself as the calendar switched over into our next hell year? <laughs> Uh, yeah, actually, the the phrase I have written down in front of me, which I can't help but hear in Chuck D's voice, is daylight, motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> which <laughs> uh, I should probably elaborate a little bit. Um, my partner and I both work from home, and you know the pandemic is still very much a thing. And both of us have jobs where sometimes you just get wound really tight, so we go for walks twice a week, um, and. For a long, for about a year, I had a health concern that made this quite difficult, and I'm delighted to say that this walk has now successfully chipped that away to the point where it's just unpleasant, which is really nice. Whenever possible, we try and do this during daylight, because I had a period about four or five years ago where um, I, I was starting to get really kind of pale, 
And I just said, I don't have any energy, honey. Why don't, have any, why don't I have any energy? And with that kind but somehow legal tone of voice Marguerite excels at, she looked at me and went, when was the last time you went outside in daylight? <laughs> the point of trying to get outside. And I kind of feel like getting outside is, is the... It, it, it's the benign version of touch grass because obviously there are touch grass is is great but at the same time it's also one of those things which some people literally can't do i mean i, I live in a second story apartment as i've said before uh over the alleyway where one day the wayne parents will be killed and batman's dark journey of vengeance will commence and it's quite difficult to get to countryside from where we are or even grass but i can go outside so if you possibly can especially at this time of year go outside just for a little bit because it'll help how about you? I mean, that one kind of gets to the heart of a thing I need to do. I, I absolutely managed to, by the sheer nature of my dedication to constantly be at my laptop and constantly covering the news, managed to give myself uh, diabetes uh, from just not going out for enough walks. So, uh, Oh, dude. I'm sorry. I've been processing it for a while here, but I'm, I'm just like, yeah, I, I opted to suddenly work myself to death, and so this is just a chance to... The best part of it is that, like, I've never had a sweet tooth, and now that I'm diabetic, I, I've been like, you know what I fucking love? Candy. Just get a bunch <laughs> of... Like, it, I am just constantly popping uh, warheads and gushers right now. I don't know. Some sort of tart, giant round pack of sugar is apparently all i want i'm like this was the wrong time to get into this and soda <laughs> like it's it's like i didn't like it until somebody told me no and i'm like you're not my dad um my self-care <laughs> to the void in line with that kind of is that um i'm just down to clown with cherries uh i've just never liked cherries i think i'm going through one of those your taste buds change sort of things but like uh i just I woke up one day with a craving for cherries. Not sure what year was the last time I had cherries. And now I'm just uh, cherries and grapes nonstop, which also like the grape side of it. It's great to get into that right now because that is the one thing that will absolutely kill any of my pets if they eat it. And we were always like, well, thank God neither of us eat grapes. And now I'm like, well, I, 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 I crave the grape. I crave, <laughs> I crave this fruit. So, um, I don't know. It's uh, it's less about an advice to go get cherries, but more um, maybe just give your palate that good old test as we enter into this new year. I find that my my palate swaps are happening more frequently as as I enter my thirties, and uh, each year is sort of a fun surprise as to what food I uh, I like now. So um, I don't know. Have some fun. Find something new. That's uh, that's mostly healthy for me. I think. Sure. That all sounds like a very, very good idea. And the palette swap thing, yeah, I'm getting real good at swapping that, at, at, at spotting the, I, I shouldn't eat that, I don't like it. When was the last time I ate it? Two years ago. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, all right. Get six of them. <laughs> uh, so my sharing into the void is also actually thanks to you. I Between this show and Full Lid, you've just become my go-to. I, I can't Aww. remember the last time. I think the last time that I just implicitly trusted that I needed to do what somebody advised was in the early 2000s when I lived in Chicago uh, around Pitchfork. Like, that's the last time that, like, I've been like, anything that they say is good, I'm absolutely going to track down and give a spin to. 
your your essays on things on full lid so uh yeah i don't know i fired up a vpn for the first time all year and uh checked out wreck season one and uh, oh holy shit my dude that is that is a hell of a thing do you want to pitch it to the audience this is a show over on the bbc uh obviously y'all can access it easier than we can but also it takes two clicks for us to get it over here but uh do you want to tell people what that show is <laughs> yeah basically uh it is a young guy whose sister has gone missing on on a cruise liner where she was working as part of the entertainment crew uh, goes undercover, disguised as a member of the crew, to find out what happened to her. And were this a well-behaved show, that would be it. But the person he's gone undercover as, who is a six-foot-five Irish Krogan, has also decided to to come aboard as well. They have a cabin for one person. His best friend is a delightfully belligerent lesbian lady with zero fucks. And the crew is being menaced by a dark mask wielding serial killer and that's episode one yeah gets into it fast gets there fast oh it does it really such a good show and it's uh it's very clearly designed to be done in one if needed but there's more to do and i think they got commissioned for a second season halfway through the first season's run so there is more coming that's fantastic glad glad to know that uh what do you have as a sharing into the void for this week I've been happily making my way through a big pile of stuff which I picked up and haven't had time to, to look at for a while. And a few of those have been zines. And there's one in particular by a lady called Bethany Fortner, and it's great. It's a single, pa pa single page of A4, uh, which has been folded down in that kind of origami voodoo way that other people can do. And for me, is basically a crumpled paper generator so that it has lots of pages. And there's a quote from it that really, really jumped out at me that I really love which is, I think art can be used by the creator not only as an expression of the thoughts and feelings inside their head, but also an exploration of the self and its tiny voices speaking between the lines, between the thoughts, quietly, so as not to be noticed. And that's why I will be sending out the next edition of the newsletter with a Run DMC pun that is the proudest piece of wordplay I've done this year as the title. Embrace the tiny voices. Fellas and ladies and and everyone else, it is it is worth it. It is a good pun, and he has already been proud enough today to tell me about it off air. So yeah, uh, if you're not subscribed to the full lid yet, what do you, what are you doing? What are you doing? I promise it's worth it. You put Thanks, in man. too much effort on that. I <laughs> I don't know where you find the time. I mean, now that you're unemployed, sure, absolutely, full lit it daily. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> sweeps plants off desk. I have no idea about what you mean. <laughs> I'm surprised those plants are still on your desk at this point. I love you and know you, but <laughs> I, I, I worry about those plants. Uh, why don't you take us on out of this one? Sure. Um, if you like the show, please. Uh, consider leaving a review. Any podcatcher you grab us through is great. Uh, iTunes and Google are always useful to know. Hell, if you listen to us on Spotify, I'm really sorry. And also uh, leave a review there if you can. But seriously, discoverability with shows like this is the key. So please help out if you possibly can with that. Also, Jordan Shively, uh, our friend and co-host and all-around deeply deeply awesome human being is a fiercely talented designer and has a vast sprawling byzantine labyrinth of t-shirts under the name void merch and stickers and notebooks and all this good stuff 
just just go just go to void merch and look at literally anything jordan is an absolute genius and there's some carrying into the void stuff on there that's especially super cool so um do check him out as well we will of course see you next time uh in the meantime you can find me on twitter for now at alistair stewart brock where can the fine folks find you at twitter at brock wilbur but yeah, same as you i'm i'm sort of looking back at 15 years of author bio on websites being like go find him on twitter and be like that uh that link might not work anymore fellas uh what yeah. what is my new hub brockwilber.com ladies and gents uh time to go back and give that one a once over for the first time in a decade let's see who i used to think i was mostly a comedian <laughs> so <laughs> yeah and, and in the spirit of that you can find me at alistairstewart.com as well so thank you so much for joining us folks we will be back next time in the meantime please uh remember keep your heart stark and true and your teeth sharp and many and we'll see you next time in the void. Happy New Year's, delightful shadows. <laughs> <laughs>